Well, welcome to the Empower Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and ultimately empowers you to influence people and transform cities. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Why don't you find your seat? Thank you. So wonderful to be with you again. Thanks for having me. Paul and I were just talking earlier. I think I was here about three years ago and last year might have done a video during lockdown. And um, I just love your pastors, Paul and Kate. Can we just give them a round of applause? We've been friends for a long time. Nicola was asking me on the drive up here, how long? And I think, I don't know, somewhere between 15, 20 years, who knows? And um, so I just appreciate them. I appreciate the longevity of our relationship, the kindredness of our relationship, and they're the real deal. You know, I've seen them through all sorts of seasons and, um, and they've always been what you see now. And strong and, um, and I just sensed in the worship a word for both of you and for your church that what's, what's lacking in culture at the moment is found here. And that is a leadership culture. A culture where men and women of God know who they are. And it's not an obnoxious leadership, it's a servant leadership. It's a cause-oriented leadership. It's a heart that's in the world to make a difference for the Kingdom of God. And I wanna say, church, that this culture you have here is not common in churches around our nation, let alone in society. The moment, you know, the person who has the longest list of victim things gets the most airtime, leaders are torn down. And so we have a society like we do now, but it's because leadership's been done poorly. And so it's that servant leadership that I sense here and that cause-oriented leadership. And I just felt the word clarity to speak over you. Clarity, you have clarity, but I feel like the community is gonna see that clarity. I feel like your ministries are gonna be just honed with a sense of like prophetic clarity and you're gonna know what you're going after. And that's gonna be unclouded for you. I don't know whether that's something you're sensing already, but that's that word clarity for you both and for your church. And so then into your families and into your workplaces, that clarity of purpose, knowing what I'm going after for the Kingdom of God, amen? Amen. Yes, please grab the book. My heart for the book was really just to demystify leadership. We're all called to lead. I'm sorry to let you know, but if you said yes to Jesus, you're a leader. If you said yes to Jesus, He now calls you a light on a hill that doesn't hide itself. But I wanted to demystify that because I know a lot of people, as soon as they hear the word leadership, they go, oh, that's not me. And uh, there are many ways to lead, which is why it's called expanded leadership. And so we just make everything overcomplicated. Let's just simplify things, shall we? And get on with life and do it really well. Anyone wanna be a good, effective Christian? Awesome, good, I'm in good company. I have a photo for you of my family because now you've had a couple of minutes to check out my shoes so you can now have a look at my family. And all the women are laughing, you know it. You know it, all right? I do the same thing. This is my amazing, amazing family. I now have two teenagers. What? 
What? I know, I look way too young for that. I know. I know. And so Maya is there standing next to Sam. She will be getting her licence next year, her learners. What on earth? She, um, she works, she does all the things and she's actually a dream. I have a dream teenage daughter. I know. Um, Layla just turned 13. She is a dream in a whole other sense. This girl is, has the biggest heart and she is loved by everyone. In fact, no, Maya is known at school as Layla's sister. And so Layla just turned 13 and she's divine. She's absolutely divine. She was the kid as the two-year-old that would walk around the house with a green bucket on her head. Just because... And um, then we have Judah, who kind of looks like a chip off the old block, doesn't he? And uh, he just turned double digits this year. He's 10 and he's such a thinker. If he was alone with you, he would ask you the most informed questions about yourself. You would walk away feeling like the most important person in the world. He's just beautiful. And Jesse, um, anyone who has multiple children knows what the youngest child is like. And so Jesse has the world wrapped around his finger. He knows exactly what's up. And if you argue with him, you're just wrong. Three plus three is seven. No, Jesse, it's six. No, 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 you're wrong, mum. It's seven. And that's the way he approaches life. So uh, we're navigating that. And Sam and I, um, next year, uh, we'll be celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary in February, which is cool. I know that's awesome for like you guys who only just got married, but some of you are like, Psh, child's play, 19 years, what? Um, but we've, we've um, grown a lot and marriage is honestly God's favourite gift and He loves it so much and I've experienced blessing as a result of being married to an amazing man. And uh, this year, we've had some challenges. I don't know, you may or may not know that Sam in February uh, went into hospital in emergency and uh, actually for his heart, he just had heart palpitations and they did a full scan and they found a large mass in his bowel. And so he's actually just finished six months of chemo. Uh, we have not said the C word because we will not give power to the enemy, um, but it's been a ride. Anyone had a ride in their lifetime? Give me a wave. You're nodding. You're allowed to throw your hands in the air, scream, shout, cry. Um, it's been a year. And so when Pastor Paul asked me to come and speak this morning and open your theme of promises, my spirit leapt because this has been a journey. And Sam and I have been through a lot in 19 years. You know, we've known each other for 21 years. We've been through a lot, but that really was child's play compared to this year. And when you look death in the face and you know what he looks like and you have to actually stand on your resolves, oh my goodness, it's quite a thing. And when all you have is the promise of God, it gets real. It gets real very fast. And so it's been an amazing year actually. And now on the other side of it, people are asking us, 
you know, would you change it? And if we can be perfectly honest with you, we would not. We would not, honestly, because of the God I have found this year, because of the Carolina I found this year, because of the Sam I found this year, because of the Maya and Layla and Judah and Jesse I found this year, I actually wouldn't change it. What I would change is some of my responses, but I reckon God's got grace for that. Anyone else? So promises. And the title of my message, can I promise you about promises that what I'm preaching this morning isn't a theory? Okay, what I'm about to give you in a few minutes took me more than 15 minutes to learn. And so I pray that something of the Spirit is deposited in you. You can thank me later, all right? That this is not just an idea. I have walked this this year. And this has been a message to my heart this year. And so the title of my message as I have the great privilege to launch your promises theme is go back to what you know. Not in the sense of, you know, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is in Numbers where the people say to Moses, take us back to Egypt. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something entirely different. And so we're going to, to really base ourselves in the story of David and Goliath. And you've, if you've been around for a little while, and even most people who have not been in church know the story of the kid who faces the giant with a slingshot and kills him. But God brought this back to my attention in the most traumatic season of this journey this year. When Sam was first diagnosed, those three months that followed were literally hell. It was not just a diagnosis, it was in three months of attack and assault. And it was a roller coaster of bad reports after another. It was worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and, and God reminded me of this story of David and Goliath and I wanna share out of it today. So what we know is that the Israelites were facing the Philistines and the Israelites were God's people and the Philistines were the enemy. And they're in this place that is known as the boundary of the bloods because it wasn't the first time they met there. It was known for a place of bloodshed. And so they're there and they're opposing each other and it was like a passageway. It was like a boundary to more lands and more um, prosperous, fertile lands. And so it was kind of like the place you would go to get dibs on the good stuff. And so lots of nations fought at this place. And so they're there, they're facing each other. The Israelites are all in battle formation. They're wearing, they're, you know, all the right thing. They look the part. The Israelites, the Philistines are on the other side and the Philistines don't even have to fight. They just send out one guy. And this guy's named Goliath and he's enormous. He's called a giant. We all know the story. He's 12 foot tall. You know that house, that dream house you wanna build with the 12 foot ceiling? So he would duck to walk into your house. He's that big. His armour weighs more than you and me put together. Just what he's wearing. Like he is huge and he comes out and stands in the middle of the valley morning and evening and taunts the Israelites and he teases them I want to read it to you it says this in 1 Samuel 17 verse 9 let's start in verse 8 he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them 
Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. I wanna tell you church, that's the only way it ever goes down. You either beat your giant and he serves you or you serve him. There's no other alternative. And the, Phil, um, and the Philistines said, oh gosh, you can hear this and I heard this in the corridors of the hospital, in the appointments. I defy. I defy you and everything you've ever preached. I defy you and everything you've put into your children. I defy you and everything you say you've believed all your life. I defy you. He comes out and He says, I defy you this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Isn't that just the invitation you want? Not really. And when Saul and Israel heard these words, the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And Scripture says they ran and hid. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening, morning and evening. This is significant, church. What do you do first and last every day? If the first thing you do is reach over and grab a screen, if the last thing you do is numb yourself with something, you better believe Goliath's voice is gonna get louder and louder and louder. What you do and what you hear first and last is so important. In the morning, if the first thing you look at are the Scriptures of the Word of God, if you pray in tongues for five minutes, before you say anything else, God forbid, any mother knows. If the last thing you do is flick through the pages of Scripture, I was talking to a friend and she's just been opening Psalm 91 and putting it on her bedside table and has never slept better. I'm gonna try that. What do you do first and last? The first thing you hear, the last thing you hear. And then we'll skip down to verse 28, and Eliab, David's older brother, because David gets sent to his brothers. Dad goes, hey, can you go to your brothers? And can you just see how they are? They've been gone a little while. Take this cheese. It was cheese and wine night and dad provides. And so David takes it down. And Eliab, his oldest brother, heard David questioning, what's going on around here? Why are you guys all hiding? And who's the big guy out there like insulting God? And his older brother heard when he was speaking to the men and Eliab's anger aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Because David, the youngest, was the shepherd boy of dad's flock. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. <laughs> At what po which point I imagine going, David, like, what battle? What battle, tough guy? Like you've just come out of hiding. Why is Eliab so angry? Well, it was just the previous chapter that David got anointed as king. And David's the youngest and Eliab's the oldest. So Eliab's burning with all sorts of emotions and he accuses David of being prideful. 
I love David's response. And this has to be our response, no matter how ugly and big Goliath is. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Can I tell you the churches that are not thriving in COVID are the ones who meet just for themselves. I travel, I have a lot of friends in ministry and the ones who are thriving are the ones who say, is there not still a cause? You can't shut down the gospel. You can't mandate the gospel. Is there not a cause? Goliath, no matter how big you are and how intimidating you are, is there not a cause? I love it. And so he says to Saul, verse 32, stop freaking out. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says, you're not able to go. You're a youth. Listen to the irony of this statement. You're a youth, but he's been a man of war from his youth. And there's something in the world that is really good at training our young people and the church needs to get good at training the young people. And I know you guys are doing a brilliant job. Again, the youth ministry in this church is very, very significant, different to what many youth ministries are. He's been a fighting man from his youth. And David says to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it and killed it. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God. Is there not a cause? Moreover, David said, the Lord, let's give glory where it's due, The Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and let the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David in his own armour and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to the armour and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk in these. I haven't tested them. So David took them off. I don't know if you remember, But when Saul was anointed king, the Bible says he was a head taller than every other man in the nation. So this tall man is giving a 15 year old boy his armour and he's going, I can't wear this. It doesn't fit me. So he took them off. And what did he do? He took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag because he's a shepherd in a pouch he had and a sling in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine and when the Philistine came, he was angry and he was disdained. And he said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And he threatens David, verse 44, this is David's response. You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I love this. But I come at you in the name of the Lord and the armies of Israel who you have defied. Oh, you need to get to that place where you can look the monster in the face and go, you reckon you're defying my God? I come at you 
you can come at me in any name you want, but I come at you in the name of the living God. And today I defy you. Today I defy you. We know the story. David goes running out, winds up. Goliath doesn't even know what's happening because he can't go in close combat with a giant. (laughs) So he winds up and he throws this stone. The stone lands in Goliath's forehead. He falls to the ground. He may or may not be dead at this point. And so David, just to make sure he's done the job, runs over to the unconscious or potentially dead body of a giant, pulls out the giant's own sword and lops his head off with it. Whoa. And then he takes Goliath's head and marches through town with it. You should read the Bible, it's awesome. It's awesome. So three thoughts for you this morning. I said three. Three thoughts for you this morning. Simple, that God spoke to my heart around the promise. Because remember the chapter before, David was anointed king. The promise. Number one, you may or may not believe me, but you already have everything you need. You already have everything you need. The first thing I realised is, you know, we, we hear a lot about grief and trauma. There's a lot of theology, psychology, schools of thought. There's not a lot around shock. And if I could, could change anything about my journey, it would be to pre-arm myself for shock. I don't know if you ever can. But shock is where you actually see your defaults, when you don't have time to think. But you need to disarm the shock as quickly as possible. Disarm it as quickly as possible. Because if you stay in shock, you will keep confessing the wrong thing. You'll keep reacting emotionally. You'll keep explaining your way out of the battle. Disarm the shock. Disarm the shock. One of the other stories that came to my attention was the story of JL. And we don't have time to go into it today. But JL is a woman who lives in a tent and the army commander of the enemy comes to her tent and she kills him. A woman, a housewife. Wouldn't you freak out? Wouldn't you freak out? And I realised, you know, often the battle can be happening out there. What happens when he's on your doorstep like it was for me this year? What happens when he's sleeping in your bed? Do you freak out? I need help, someone help me. No, no, she disarmed the shock. And just like JL and just like David, they went, well, if the opportunity has arisen, it means he's mine for the taking. If he's come to my door and God is the Lord I serve, means he's mine. Mean God's trusting me to take him out. Don't cry too much. Don't scream for help. Get on with the job. She took a tent peg and killed the guy in his sleep. Ruthless. I'm telling you, you should read your Bible. I disarm the shock. Identify your target. Can I tell you it's not your brother Eliab? Eliab is not your enemy. Christians, oh my gosh, the amount of times I've been shot by friendly fire. Christians are really lousy shots. Eliab is not the problem. Goliath's the problem. Don't get distracted. 
Let a liar be a liar. He's got his own issues, whatever. He is not the enemy. Identify the enemy. And, sele- and you know what? Some people say, oh, but my problem's so big. You don't know my problem's so big. I wanna tell you if he's that big, he's too big to miss. Identify your problem and go after it. Select your weaponry. For David, it was a stone and a sling, a shepherd's staff and a robe. For JL, it was a tent peg and she used tent pegs every day of her life. David didn't need to put on someone else's gear. He just had to go back to what he knew and realise he already had everything he needed. Go back to what you already know. I remember when I was in the throes of that first three months, standing in the foyer of our church, speaking to a friend of mine, beautiful, mature, prophetic friend of mine, and she asked me how I was. And I said, you know, the doctors can't give us any definites. Don't you love that? (laughs) All they can report to you is the worst case scenario, which is not helpful when you're trying to stand in faith. I feel like I have no certainty And I said these words and the moment I said them, I realised what the enemy was doing in my mind. I said, I've got no certainty. All I've got is the Word of God. And I felt the Spirit of God say to me, then you've got more than enough. Carolina, you have dug wells for 20 years. You have all you need. You already go back to what you know. And I wrote in my journal a big article. I wanna read you a portion of it and it's called Resist the Resistance. And at the end, I say, go back to what he said about you, about your future, about himself, about his plan, about his promises, about his intentions. Go back to what you know about his character, his ability, his provision, and the precedent he has set over and over in the annals of time and submit to that. One of the first and most common tactics the accuser will use is to make us question our allegiances. In the moments of challenge when we're uh, fatigued, he'll make us question what we know. He'll throw our once stoic confidence into the shadows of confusion, but don't question in the dark what you knew in the light. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Set your mind and keep it set. Stand on what you know, the battle is the Lord's. When he enters the stage and he always does because he never left, he always wins. You've got this. God's got you, stand firm. Number two, your life up until this point has been training. Your life up until this point has been training. I remember standing in Drake's IGA, looking at the pots of honey with tears in my eyes. Anyone else do this? All the mums you know, will rock an empty trolley like a pram, right? If I had an empty trolley, I would have been doing this. But you know, when you're standing in the grocery aisle looking at stuff and you're not actually looking, I was doing that. And the internal dialogue was this, God, I wish this wasn't so public. I'm a very private person. And God said to me, looking at the honey, 
Carolina, you spent 20 years fighting the, the lion and the bear. You can take Goliath in full view of everyone. You're ready. You're ready. I was like, I cried all the way home with my honey. So empowered. Yeah, okay, okay. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this a public battle or a private battle? If it's a private battle, keep it private. If it's a lion or a bear, make sure you do the lion and the bear. Not looking for validation, glory, limelight, because you're in training. But if it's Goliath, step up to the plate, my friend. While everyone else is running and hiding, you're ready. Everything up until this moment has been training. And so you're ready for this. Or perhaps right now you are in training. In any case, you've got this because God gave you a promise. Number three, and if I could have the ministry team and the music team, that would be awesome. I'm gonna open the altar for ministry this morning. I'm gonna invite Pastor Paul and Kate to pray, to prophesy over you. And this was the, the part of this message that I have just for you in Power Church. I've not preached this before. Number three, your promise is a seed. It's a seed. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells three parables about seeds. And the first one is the parable of the sower. The second one is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the third one is the parable of the mustard seed. And in the parable of the sower, he says, you know, a farmer, Jesus, scatters seed, promise, word, and it falls on all different soil. And there's only one group of soil that makes it, only one group of seed that makes it. Do you know what? It is scary to think that when I preach the Word, three quarters won't get it. Scary. And then He talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares where a farmer sows good seed and the enemy comes in and sows bad seed amongst it in the night. And then the weeds and the wheat grow up together. And then He tells the story of the mustard seed, which is the smallest seed there is, but once it's fully grown, it is the biggest tree. And so Jesus, and, and what I believe He has for you today, is that there are five risks to losing your promise. And the first one is the enemy can steal it, which is the seed that falls on the footpath. The birds just come and snatch it away. The second one is when you give it away at the first sign of trouble or persecution. That's the next type of soil. The third risk is when you get distracted by the cares of life. Man, if I've seen that in COVID in the church, this is the one. So many, I am concerned with the number of people who have fallen away from church in COVID because of this third type of soil. The cares of life have taken the promise away. And then there's the tears that grow up with your promise. And the tares is what the enemy sows in to grow up with the goodness of God, to compromise the purity of the harvest. 
And the last one is those who despise small beginnings. It's a mustard seed. I have total disregard for that. But actually that seed becomes the biggest of trees. The promise is a seed. The promise is not the fulfilment of the promise. The promise is the seed. I've read David and Goliath over and over again, but it became a seed. Logos, the written head knowledge Word of God became Rima, a spirit word, a promise. And so when we understand it as a seed, we can draw the analogy from pregnancy or farming. There's conception, incubation, transition, birth. There's planting, cultivating, fruition. There's time, there's endurance, there's cultivation, there's commitment to it. There's one lot of seed that made it and it's the seed that clung to the soil, that clung. We have to cling. I realised I must be a bit of an evangelist, I realised in this season, because when Sam got the diagnosis, I just wanted a miracle. I'm like, I'm getting all Benny Hinn on this situation. And I realised Sam, I had the faith for a miracle, Sam had the faith for endurance. Both are important. And often with a promise, it's the second. Often with a promise, it's the latter. You have to cling. You have to cling because you know what? All I've got is the Word of God. Well, you've got more than enough if you cling to it. The Word is a seed that takes root in the womb or the soil of our spirit and we have to pray it into being, declare it into being. I'd love for you to stand to your feet this morning. Would you close your eyes? I'm believing in this moment that God is going to show you something. Show you something in your spirit. He who has eyes to see, let him see. Once you've seen it in the spirit, you know what it looks like. You can pray it into being. No matter what your situation looks like, when you've seen something in God, a doctor can say whatever he wants. A professional can say whatever they want. Your situation can look however it wants. When you've seen something in God, you have authority and you can pray it into being. The Word of God is your legal evidence in the courtroom of heaven. It is supreme, it is superior, it is in another realm. So we're gonna sing this song. I love the ministry team to sing this song. And for you to reflect, maybe you've let go of your seed. Maybe God wants to speak something to you. Just ask God to show you something and I'll invite Pastor Paul and Kate to come up and we're just gonna do a bit of ministry this morning. Why don't we press in to God?